Welcome to Waterbrook Church located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we continue the series Gospel Friendships. This Sunday's message is entitled Complete Rubbish, Why Paul Abandoned Religion for Christ and Why You Should Too. We're going to be examining one of the most important passages in the book of Philippians and one of the most powerful texts in the New Testament. Philippians 3, 4 through 11 describes the Apostle Paul's decisive break with religious performance. One thing was clear for Paul, seeking what Christ could do in and through his life was an infinitely superior pursuit to seeing what Paul could do for Christ and for God in his own strength. Getting off the treadmill of religious performance was the most important decision of Paul's life, and it's the same for each of us. The Christian life is a courageous pursuit of experiencing the person of Christ, leading us powerfully through things we would never choose into an eternity that we will never regret. Let's worship together. So religion is anything that I do to get God off my back. Isn't that what we're doing a lot of the times? We got guilt. We think God's, we think God's the ogre in the sky just tracking us down like a hound dog waiting to stomp on us. So we begin to think, how do I get some peace? How do I get God off my back? Or we try to get God on our side. I'm going through a trial. God help me. I'll change my life. Anybody ever done the old negotiation with God? <laughs> right? If I do this, will you do this? If I turn it around, will you do this? What does God do with that kind of stuff? God tells you that what you're negotiating is something in place of him. He will not give you your God substitutes. He will give you himself because you were made for him. So I'm going to give you three reasons from this text of Scripture why you and I need to fight religion. I'm not gonna, I may have to run to my notes here in a second, but I'll try to just go, go through the text here and show you. So go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4. Paul says, Though I, have my, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He sa- oh, at the end of verse 3 he says, I put no confidence in the flesh even though I have more reason than anybody else to put confidence in the flesh. Now, here's what Paul's teaching here. Paul's teaching that religion is delusional. Religion is delusional. And what he means is, is that he spent his life under the delusion that somehow if he obeyed the law properly and he was a more zealous Jew and he was more dedicated than the person... Do you know how we do comparative religion? I feel better about myself when my kids are behaving and yours are misbehaving, right? I feel better about myself when I'm kind of on the right path of, of morality when I see other people struggling. We do comparative religion we we give ourselves paul was zealous to live for god and he says to himself if you want to go to the standard of righteousness and we want to compare and he's talking about the judaizers who were telling them they needed to be circumcised and they needed to follow the law he said nobody nobody here is going to compare with my zeal and he'll tell you this in my zeal to be absolutely religious i actually found myself ab- uh, absolutely deluded in my standing before God. I could not find joy. I could not find rest. I never got to the place of righteousness before God. 
So I remember as a kid, I came from this little town, little hick town in Canada, and I remember one time our town was burning down. The downtown area, which isn't, you know, that's probably three buildings, I don't know, but it, it seemed like our whole town was burning down. The main street was burning down, and there was a guy in our town. We had a, we had a well-known drug addict in our town. Everybody in our town had a nickname. His nickname was Skeeter. And so the fire department, you know, the volunteer fire department rolled in. The whole town, you know, there's nothing that goes on. So it's midnight, and the whole town was standing on the street. It's social hour. We're watching the town burn down. And in the middle of the firefight, Skeeter on drugs was running up and down the fire ladder into the building. Now in his, his, his delusion, his drug-induced delusion, he had the idea he was helping. Skeeter, I was, he was saying he was going to help. And so you can imagine what it was like for the fire department. What are they doing? Not only are they trying to put the fire out, they're trying to keep Skeeter, who we all know, who's part of the town, they're trying to keep Skeeter from killing himself. And the Apostle Paul says, when we're running up and down the ladder of religion, trying to help God with our righteousness, it just puts more work on God. Right? Because we think by our righteousness, we are something. Now let me just walk you through and show you how Paul, I will go to my notes so I'm expeditious with this, um, but let me show you what Paul says religion is. If you look at this text, he says, describing himself, that he was circumcised on the eighth day. So that's kind of like if we were to say, well, I was baptized. You could say your theology was infant baptism. You could say believer's baptism. What he's saying is that when I started out from the get-go and I look at my pedigree, my parents started out right on the right day with me. So I look back and I'm trusting in uh, my religious heritage, my parents' religious, there's some religious rite or ceremony. So that's, that's a basic thing. That's one of the things that drives me crazy sometimes when I go to certain services. I've been in funerals where the thing that is announced as the security of the believer or the, the person who's deceased is their baptism. So the... the the minister will say repeatedly, this person was baptized into the church at this point in time, and therefore we have every confidence they're in heaven. Do you know how hard it is uh, to be a tiger pastor in those services? Because everything in you wants to get up and say, it is not your baptism that saves you, it's your Savior, Jesus Christ and his finished work. We can trust in religious rites. It doesn't matter what your denomination is. You can have something you've done in the past. There's a lot of people who said, I prayed a prayer at a certain point in time, and because I prayed that prayer, I can live as I please and do as I want. My goodness, Jesus had to die for that prayer. He had to die for that religious rite. He also says, this is Paul's description, I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says that his, his heritage, his religious heritage, was of the, of the in, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, Benjamin, the tribe, then is called um, the beloved of the Lord. So he goes, I'm from the tribe that's described as deeply loved by God. 
I, I just got to say this too. That can be one of our temptations too. That my heritage, I come from a rich heritage. Now some of us come from a totally godless heritage, but there's other people who can point back to the past and say, you know what? And, and we'll say these kind of things. I was devoutly Catholic. I was Lutheran. My parents, my grandfather was Baptist. And we begin to track back to our heritage and tell the stories of our families of faith. I'll tell you this, God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. You don't get into heaven because grandma was faithful. You get into heaven if you trust the same Savior that a sinful grandma threw her hope in. Right? So it's not your heritage. It's not any ceremony. Paul says, as to the law, he was a Pharisee. And that means he was trained and he was educated. He was an expert in the law. He defined the law. He got into the details of the law. He was meticulous in obedience to the law. He made sure other people understood. I feel like that happens in evangelicalism a lot. In evangelicalism, we feel better if we're good exegetes of the Scripture and we compare ourselves with everyone else. There is no good Bible exegete, no Bible preacher who will ever end into heaven on the basis of his exegesis or his orthodoxy or his ability to say and defend and to live in a way that's absolutely faithful. Your orthodoxy doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. If your orthodoxy is right, your orthodoxy says this, there is one name under heaven by which man can be saved, and that's who? Jesus Christ. How are you saved? Jesus, by Christ, by faith alone. Paul also says, as to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. I mean, if you asked anybody who was zealous for his Jewish heritage, it was the Apostle Paul. Paul was hot on the pursuit of heresy. He was going to stomp out anybody who brought damage or disdain or dishonor to the Jewish nation. He was on the road to Damascus. He was zealous for that when Christ interrupted him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was confronted by Jesus. His zeal is there. You know, some of you are far more zealous for the Lord than the people beside you. Some of you sitting here today are more passionate about the gospel, more clear about evangelism, more serious about prayer. What's the danger? The danger is we start to think we're in a better standing because we're more serious about it. My dear friends, we're in a better standing because Christ is more serious about everything than us. And he was serious enough about our sin to die in our place. Aren't you glad that Jesus was zealous enough to live the law perfectly and stand in our place and die for us? Jesus is our hope. It's not your zeal. And I hear that all the time. I hear people struggling with, why aren't those people more serious about Christ? And the answer is, if you are more serious about Christ, it's because of Christ that isn't because of you. It's because of the grace of God and the gospel. It's not. There is no boasting except in Christ and Him crucified. Paul also says, as to uh, righteousness blameless can you imagine ever saying that now i think he's completely serious i think he says when it comes to moral obedience to the law 
It was like the rich young ruler Jesus came to Jesus and says, how do I inter- inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And the law says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich young ruler says what? I've done it. Do you think, do you think Jesus said, no, you haven't done it? You know, see, what Jesus said is, okay, you, you've done the external requirements of the law, but your problem isn't external, it's internal. I'll give you one test that this will be whether or not you're ready to go. Go and sell everything you have and follow me. Did he pass or did he fail? F-A-L-E. He failed. Right? He failed miserably. And the, and the reason was that he could do all the externals, he could do all the performances, but in his heart of hearts, he couldn't make himself love Jesus. It's delusional. Anything other, religion gives you, this is the danger of religion. I put in my notes here, Paul says, and this is what he teaches in other parts, Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You know the danger of religion? It masks the smell of death. It masks the smell of death. Because you run around doing religion and you have this sense in your nose that somehow I'm alive. This is life. I'm going to do this. I'm obeying this. I've done these religious performances. It gives you the illusion that you're doing something that is salvific. But the truth of the matter is, You cannot be alive before God unless you are in Christ. And Christ gives life. Right? Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, who was a Pharisee, who was a law keeper, unless you are what? Born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You need a miracle. You need to be made alive. You need Christ in you who is the hope of glory. That's what you need. So that's the first thing. Religion creates a delusion. You run around busying yourself. And of course you're going to lose your joy. Because it all has this idea that depends on you. My dear friends, you cannot be your own savior. And you do not need to be your own savior. So it's not only delusional, but go to the next section. The Apostle Paul says here, uh, the, the way I would describe it is it's dishonorable dishonorable if you go down to verse 7 he says whatever gain i had i counted as loss for the sake of christ indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord for his sake i have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what rubbish rubbish this this sermon is rubbish got it This sermon cannot save me. My best sermons are rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. My best efforts. He says, I count it all rubbish. The word actually means manure. And Paul, it's interesting in the Bible. There's a couple of times there's there's language like this. But the Bible uses language that makes us uncomfortable. The strongest language to make us repel against the idea of our own righteousness. Paul says, I was a Pharisee, I was righteous, I was zealous, I was on my way up being trained under Gamaliel, I was the next guy in line. 
You know, they, they were looking to me. They were trusting in me. They were giving authority. I counted it all lost for one thing. Because the language is here, I considered it a great big pile of manure. Manure. And I, Isaiah, we're told that our righteousness is as menstrual rags. That's the language of the Bible. That's the language of the Bible. Now, it might make you uncomfortable, but I want to make you uncomfortable. Your religion is offensive in the nostrils of God. You ever read the Old Testament ceremonies? And in the Old Testament ceremonies, as you read through the Bible, that it says these offerings were a, a fragrance pleasing, an aroma pleasing to God? You ever read that and think, what determines... An aroma that's pleasing to God. What's God like that he has offerings that are pleasing? Well, I'll tell you what they are. They are offerings in keeping with what God requires. But what God requires is faith. That what you're offering God, Paul says, the best of my religion smelt like a pile of manure in the nose of God. It's offensive. My churchiosity, my self-righteousness, my checking off of the list, my zeal, my comparison with other people, it's, a, it's not just that it doesn't count for anything, it's exactly the opposite. It offends God. Why is it so offensive? Why is it so offensive? Because it is saying, A, that God, you should be pleased with this, and B, Jesus didn't have to die for this. That Jesus didn't have to die for this. It's an offense because we think that we can add to the work of God, but by adding to the work of God, we're take, we're, to the work of Christ, we're actually taking away from the worth of Christ. If Jesus... Do you think God would have given His Son to die if there was some other way to save us? Do you think God would put His Son on the cross to die the cruelty of a Roman crucifixion, pour his wrath, to have his son cry out, the, the son who is loved for all eternity, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My dear friends, every time we become self-righteous, we dishonor the cost, the sacrifice, the payment of Jesus Christ. We start comparing ourselves with one another my dear friends, the comparison is not between you and me. The comparison is between me and a holy God. And the gap and the distance between God's holiness and my righteousness is infinite. And my righteousness turns out to be an offense. And so that's why you don't want to go to religion. You become super religious, you'll become super offensive in the nostrils of God. Aren't you glad there's Christ? His offering is pleasing. What did God say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You want joy? Thank God that Jesus died for you. You want joy? Rejoice in the provision of Christ. If you, if you, want, to, if you want to offend God, get on the religious treadmill and try to replace Jesus. Try to add to Jesus. Try to increase Jesus. It's why you young people, for the next little while, you're going to be studying Galatians with John. And Paul will, does Paul say some pretty strong things in Galatians? 
He goes right at him. I'm astonished. Who has bewitched you? What in the world is going on? We preach Christ, and now you're preaching circumcision? And he's talking about his buddy Peter, who won't eat with the Gentiles now that the, those from Jerusalem come down. He's going, what? Okay. I won't, you, I, Paul doesn't get tiger apostle on very many things, but when the gospel gets diminished, the only way people can be forgiven and saved and made righteous, when that gets diminished, Paul comes out with his boxing gloves on. And the language is strong. So you young people over the next little while, you're going to hear on Wednesday nights that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Christ alone saves. You need Jesus in your life day by day. That's what you need. So that's the second thing. It is actually not only... It, it's, it's, it's dishonorable. I, I, would, I should probably use it's the word. It's despicable in the eyes of God. And here's the last thing. It's incredibly dysfunctional. I know that's a psychological term. Might, might actually take away from some of the power of it. But look at what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 3 about trying to live by righteousness. He says in verse, um, in verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as manure in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on what? Faith, not me, trusting him. Then he says that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. To simplify what he's saying there, Paul's saying this. When I look at the past, I don't want to go down justification trail. You ever had conversations with people where you go back and you talk about past behavior? My mom, I think she loves me. She may be listening right now online, so i got to be careful. But about a month ago, my mom sent me my elementary school report card. So Marianne, up till that point in time, thought I was intelligent. Right? And so we're going through my old elementary school. You know, one of the lines that was repeatedly said either negatively or positively, is that Kevin needs to focus a little more. <laughs> Kevin needs to fo pay, pay a little more attention. He's doing okay here, but he, uh, you know, and the, the bottom line is I was the ADHD kid who was, I, school was social life for me. I was at school for, for the relationships and education was secondary <laughs> for a long period of time. You know, when, when I get the report card sent from my mom, there's part of me that wants to justify myself to my wife. I'm smarter now, but she knows me, right? And there's part of us that we're tempted to look back at our lives and say, yeah, but it was my parents, you know, it was my circumstances, it was the, the death of so-and-so, it was the crisis. We all go back and we want to feel better about ourselves because somehow in our past there was some trigger, something that turned me, that made me the way I was. You know what? We don't have to do that. 
Because you know what's happened to every generation since the time of Adam? We've confirmed Adam and Eve's decision to eat the apple in the garden. Their sin has become your sin, has become my sin. And I don't have to justify myself because Christ has justified me by his own blood. And Paul says, I don't want to spend any of my time doing self-justification. All I want to do is I want to throw myself on the mercy and grace of God because Christ has paid it all. Looking back, it's all Jesus. He says at the present, you know what I want to do? I want to know Christ. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's a struggle. But he understands. Aren't you glad that God required Jesus as the priest to suffer? Not just on the cross, but he suffered in his life so that he might be merciful. When I go through hard times, I realize, one, Jesus will never leave me. He's the high priest at the right hand of God. And I don't want to take the easy life now so that I feel better. I'm not going to go into the negotiation. God, if I do this, will you make my life easier? I want to know Jesus. I want to know the depth of his love right now. I want to walk into circumstances that I wouldn't go in my own strength. But this is it. I know Jesus has gone there. I want to know the depth of his love. And I know Jesus will go there. And he will never leave me nor forsake me. That's... That's why we got to move away from religion, because for a lot of people, religion is a way for us. We get in this dysfunctional relationship with God where we're negotiating, and it's sort of like I'm always trying to get Jesus to be on my side. And so you know what happens with me? When it's going well, I don't hang out with Jesus. And when it's going bad, Jesus and I are like real tight. You have those, Anybody have those dysfunctional relationships? Where people just show up when they need something and they go when they don't. You hear from them and you don't hear from them. Isn't that, isn't that way, the way we do religion? That's what religion does. And so, you know, one of the dangers of religion is that religion quarantines Jesus. It keeps Jesus with this whole quarantine thing is, you know what? We just got restrictions on how we can relate to one another. We'll put it here. So we quarantine Jesus, and we let Jesus into our lives when we're in trouble, and then we come back to Jesus when we're not in trouble. Man, what an offense that is to God. What an offense that is to God. But this is, this is what Paul says. I want to know the power. I want to know the sufferings of Christ and the power of the resurrection. So when I get out of bed tomorrow morning, this is my prayer. God, show me the power of Jesus. I'm not interested in following Jesus where Dibley would go. I'm not asking Jesus to bless Dibley's life. I want to die. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let me live for Jesus. Let me see Jesus. Let me savor Jesus. Let me show the glory of Jesus. That's the goal of my life. Isn't that a different way to live? Because that means Jesus isn't on a yo-yo with us, nearby and out. But Jesus is, is everything to me, every day, every moment of my life. I want to know Christ. I don't want to use Him. I want to know Him. I want to love Him. Do you want to love Jesus? Isn't that helpful? Because one of the dangers for us is, if we're into religion, Jesus is used for what we want him to be and what we want him to do, but then we don't show up at the family meal for a while.
We don't, we don't engage with him on a daily basis. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And not only that, your joy is abiding in Jesus. Aren't you glad that as crazy as this last week was, Jesus welcomes you with warm, open arms today to himself. Come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will, you will find rest for your soul. Take your yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. God, forgive me for being religious, for being dysfunctional, for being in it when I need something. I, I don't need something. I need Jesus. And then he says, I want to live this life so that I might attain unto the resurrection from the dead. I don't want Jesus just now. I want Jesus forever. My vantage point is one day Jesus is coming back again. And when Jesus comes back again and the angels sing and every tribe and tongue fall before him and give glory to the Lamb, oh, God forbid that I would miss that day. God forbid that I would miss that day. Do you want to see that day? Because he's coming soon. Do you want to be there when the angels cry, holy, holy, holy? When every tribe and tongue fall at his feet and worship and stand up and sing. How many of you like singing and worship? You have never sung in worship like the singing that will happen that day around him. And it's not just singing for the emotion of singing. It will be tears weeping because you will behold the Lamb who was slain, now glorified, who loves you with an everlasting love and bought you with his own blood and has returned to make all things new and reigns and rules so that you might know him. Do you not want that? You see, this is the prayer that Paul says. This is where the tiger apostle comes out. Don't, go to, don't run to religion. Run to Jesus. Don't get on the the hamster wheel of trying to please him. Get your, your faith anchored in the one who has pleased the Father and satisfied his righteousness and died to purchase you. You are his. Just run to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. Can you do that? What do we do? Run to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. You know, in the Bible... Isaac named his son Jacob, Jacob, because technically speaking, the name Jacob means, sort of means liar. Or we might say trickster. (laughs) And he was, right? Because he supplanted, it literally means supplanted. And he's, he, he, he longed that his father would give him the blessing, but his father loved Esau. And so we get him getting the name, and later on in the book of Genesis, he gets changed to Israel, and it says his name is Israel because he what? Wrestled with God, and he said to God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, so the longing for many of us, the longing why we get on the religious treadmill is because we want God to bless us. Oh God, what do I got to do to get you to bless me? What's the answer? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places have been given to us in Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything except trust Jesus. Do you hear me this morning? You don't have to do anything 
except trust Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Run to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray over our hearts. Let's fight the religious tendencies of our soul and rest in Jesus. Father, save us from religion. Save us, dear God, from thinking that somehow your blessing has to be negotiated. Save us, dear God, from the tiresome week after week of being in and out of fellowship with you, running to you when we're hurting, living without you. Help us, dear God, that because Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. So, Father, if there's anyone here who's tired of religion, would you show them Jesus today? Crucified, paying for all of our sin. I don't want the righteousness that comes from Dibley. I want the righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. I want to know, Heavenly Father, the power of the resurrection, the resurrected Christ changing me, working in me, rescuing me, loving me, suffering for me, doing in me what I could never do for myself. Father, I want to know Jesus. I want to see him when he comes back. I want to fall at his feet weeping. I want to rejoice in his mercy. Oh, dear God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. So come and work, we pray in his name. God's people said, amen. I just stand in there. Wouldn't it be great if we had a a big gospel choir right behind them singing, break every chain. I was like, man, one day in glory with all the angels and all the choir singing, he's got the power to break every chain. I can't wait for that day. Friends, do not run to religion. Run to Jesus. Don't rest in your righteousness. Rest in his righteousness. He finished it. He's paid it all. Run to Jesus this week. If you're struggling, run to Jesus. If you're feeling guilty, run to Jesus. He's got the power to break every chain, to break every chain to break every chain. Anybody in need of baptism, talk to us. We want to baptize you if you want to follow Jesus and be a disciple. If you need prayer, stick around. We'd love to pray. Let's pray over the day. Let's pray that God would be with us. Go out. You got hope. Point G- people to Jesus, not to your religion. Point them to, point them to Christ, not yourself. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. So let's pray that. So Father, I pray that as we go out from this place, in the name of Jesus, that you would help us to announce to people as Jesus did in his own ministry, that he has come to set the captive free. He has come to take away every stain, to wash us white as snow, to fill us with power to live for him. So, Heavenly Father, set us free so that we might show others that Christ has the power to set them free. Give us grace. Give us your blessing. Help us to rejoice in the Lord always. We pray this in his name. Amen. Have a great Sunday today. God bless you as you go. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.